0: listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching podcast. This episode covers the book of Acts: How Christians Live. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on couragematters.com.
1: All right, today we're going to finish up Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, open with me in your Bible. If you have a Bible, if you don't, I'll do my best to try to help you follow along without a Bible. But we're going to begin with Acts chapter 1 before we get to chapter 9 because it's very important to understand the context of the ninth chapter of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, says this In the first book, O Theophilus, an individual that the Writer Luke is writing to, Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. That's very important to understand. This is the premise of his book. In the Gospel of Luke, he wrote about the things that Jesus began to do. And then here in verse two, until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So the implication of what? Luke is writing in the Gospel of Luke is that that was about Jesus' ministry before and up to the ascension. The book of Acts now picks it up from the ascension forward all of the things that Jesus continues to do. Verse six, so when they had come together, they asked him, the disciples asked the Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the end of the of the earth. There's always talk among God's people about the timing and the circumstances about the return of Jesus. The timing and the circumstances concerning the return of Jesus. And oftentimes we do today in the 21st century what the disciples and even the apostles did during the first century. We have our eyes focused in a little bit of the wrong direction. Now, it's great to long for and to look for the appearing of our Lord. Scripture says elsewhere that there's a blessing for that. We are to always be ready. Jesus talked about it in the Gospels. It's presented in the Gospels that Jesus says that we're always to watch. We are to always be ready. But the life of a disciple is not to sit there and to hold on and to hold on for dear life and just to wait for Jesus to crack the sky and to come back whether you believe in the rapture. You don't believe in the rapture. You better believe in the return of Jesus regardless of what you might believe about the timing and the circumstances of his return. Jesus will physically, literally, bodily return to this earth he will rule and reign on this earth and whether or not you're walking with him prior to his return or if his return is thousands of years or hundreds of years or a day after your departure when you kick the bucket it is irrelevant provided you are living for Jesus It's all too easy for us to get so fixated and focused on the return of Jesus that we lose sight of the tremendous opportunities that you and I have, that we, his disciples, have in the here and now to be witnesses for Jesus. Jesus actually told them, the timing and circumstances, they're not up to you to be concerned with. But I'll tell you what you should be concerned with. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And that power will transform who you are and as a result, what you can do. You will be my witnesses starting in Jerusalem, going out into Judea, going into Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. No matter who you are, if you're in Christ, your preoccupation as you long for As you expect the literal return of Jesus, your preoccupation must be on being an effective witness for Jesus until you see him face to face. In that context, that's where we turn in Acts chapter nine, verse 32. We've read some things about Saul and his conversion how God got a hold of him and begins to work powerfully in his life and Saul is preaching and teaching about Jesus and the gospel that he was formerly persecuting. And now the attention goes back once again to that man who had denied Jesus not once, not twice, but three times, a man with a dark past and a bright future, the apostle Peter. The attention now goes back to Peter. There's a ping-ponging effect in the book of Acts here. And now we look at what Peter is doing through the enabling power of the Holy Spirit, and it is a great reminder for every single one of us. No matter what has happened in your past, it is not an obstacle big enough to keep God from doing something in your present and doing something in your future. Acts chapter 9, verse 32. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydah. Now, notice it says he came down. If you're paying attention, this should get our attention because Lydah is northwest of Jerusalem. So according to our standard, when you look at a map, we would say, well, that's up. That's not down. But according to the reverence that we should have for God's work and the significant place of Jerusalem in God's redemptive plan in the scriptures, we never say we go down to Jerusalem. Remember, all of prophecy revolves around what is happening with the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. And so it's a teachable moment for us to reverence God's plan that he never forgets about. When God says something, he delivers it. He does what he says, says what he does, delivers what he promises. And so here it's significant that we're getting another theological reminder through the terminology that's used here that Peter came down even though he is going from our Gentile perspective up from the geographic location of Jerusalem. He came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. This is about 25 miles northwest of Jerusalem. So the gospel's going out. These are probably... Jewish believers in Jesus. There's a community of people who are now there, probably a result of the persecution and the dispersion of believers, and Peter is now on his known world tour, meaning the world in his day. He's out there as a leader in the church, this guy with a dark past who denied Jesus three times in the time, humanly speaking, when Jesus needed support the most. Peter is the guy who denied Jesus after being warned ahead of time, listen, you're not going to be able to stand up in human strength. I see your failure in the future, but you're going to be a tremendous success beyond that. Because Peter's success was not wrapped up in his human strength. Peter's success was wrapped up in the finished work of Jesus on the cross and the fact that Jesus chose Peter. Peter didn't choose Jesus. And the same is true in your life and in mine if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. There ain't nothing big enough in your past to keep God Almighty who chose you from using you in the present or in the future. Now, you might have heard it said, the next time the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. And his future is clear. In Revelation chapter 21, he is thrown into the lake of fire. But I don't know about you. I know about me. One of my biggest enemies in life is not just the devil, it's what takes place between these two ears of mine in the gray matter of my brain, in my mind. I can defeat myself just like you can defeat yourself. I can disqualify myself, just like you disqualify yourself. I can belittle God's plan for my life. I can belittle God's agenda in my life for no other reason, just sitting there in a chair and not even interacting with the rest of the world. In my own mind, in the theater of my own mind, I can disqualify myself. I can belittle God's agenda in my life. And in the process, without realizing it, I am putting God, I am stuffing God, I'm shoving him into a box all because I've lost sight of the redemptive work of Jesus in my life the whole point of the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross the atoning work of Jesus it's because he knows about your failures it's called in a three-letter word sin God understands that he knows that he saw and he sees every one of your sins in the future, and not one of them was big enough to keep him from going to the cross on your behalf. In the same way that he saw Peter's failure before it happened, he had already chosen Peter to do a significant work for him, and this same guy is out and about, fearlessly in the power of the Holy Spirit, making good on Jesus' predictive words. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria. And now we're seeing the gospel make its way to what will become the launching pad of the rest of the world, to the ends of the earth. Y'all come back now, you hear chapter 10. We're going to see how the gospel now is going to make its foray into the first fully Gentile area. God means what he says, says what he means, delivers what he promises. And one of the things that you need to put in your pipe and smoke it, and I'm not talking about an illegal substance that is allowed in Colorado. (laughs) One of the things that you can bank on is the fact that God knows about your past. You might even have a present that you need to surrender to him. Remember, nobody who surrenders to God will ever live to regret it. Time resisting God is an exercise in futility. Stop resisting God. You will not beat him. He is undefeatable. The takeaway for you and me is that no matter what is in your past, no matter what is in your present, if you will surrender yourself fully to the Lord Jesus Christ, he will use you in this present life. And he will transform the kind of life you otherwise would live to be one that is characterized as being a witness for Jesus, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. You can bank on that. As Peter came down also to the saints who lived in Lydda, there he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was Paralyzed. Peter said to him, "Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed, or get up and set the table for yourself. Get out of bed for yourself. Jesus has healed you. That's really the most appropriate translation there. And immediately he rose, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Peter is being obedient to the Lord Jesus and what happens as a result of this, a result of his positive witness, people are coming to know Jesus as their savior and their God, all right? Verse 36, now there was in Joppa, this is 36 miles from Jerusalem, northwest of Jerusalem. So Peter is now many miles. There's no automobile. There's no train. There's no bus. He's a long distance away now from Jerusalem. Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit has carried him, led him in fulfillment of what Jesus' plan was and is. And he's going further and further away from the purest form of Judaism. So there's a foreshadowing here. There's a pay attention to what's happening here. The gospel is going from the epicenter of Judaism in Jerusalem. It's gone out into Judea. We've seen it go into Samaria with Philip, if you've been paying attention, who preached the gospel in Samaria, those who were considered half-breeds, sellouts, those who had intermarried, Jews who had taken non-Jews as their spouses, and therefore practices of non-Jews being mixed in with Judaism. So Peter's getting further and further away from Jerusalem and Luke is laying out for us with clarity the understanding of the gospel being for all people everywhere. So when you hear about white supremacists who supposedly say that they're Christian, you should scratch your head and rend your garments and you should stand up and you should speak out humbly and you should say, there is no biblical case for a person who says they're a Christian and is a white supremacist. There is no biblical support for that. And it's interesting to see what happens on social media. I do use social media. Sometimes I use it effectively. Sometimes I don't use it effectively. I'm still trying to get that whole thing worked out. But in the same way that I didn't know how to walk at first, and I learned how to walk, I'm committed to using it, every opportunity I have, to try to correct the narrative that we conservative evangelical Christians should be having in this dark day and age in which we live. And the narrative that we should be having is this, people are watching us, They are looking to us about what we stand for, not just what we stand against. And I think for far too long in the conservative evangelical community, and I am a conservative evangelical, we have made our opinion known about what we are against without really clarifying what we're for. It is not just truth, folks we are to speak the truth in love. Equal parts are necessary. If I told you that I was selling chocolate chip cookies in the atrium today, and you went out there because you knew that they were fresh baked, and this whole auditorium was filled with the fresh aroma of chocolate chip, let's say chocolate chunk cookies. The kind that when you break them open the gooiness of the dark chocolate is right there for all to see. (laughs) The kind of chocolate chunk cookies that you want to get a glass of, forget the skim milk, forget the 1% or 2%, you want cream, and you want that chocolate chip cookie dunked into that cream, and you just want to be a hedonist for a moment. Ask Jesus for forgiveness later on. (laughs) Suppose I said I was selling them out in the atrium, you went out there eager, There was a rush out of the auditorium to buy your freshly baked chocolate chip cookies and when you got to my stand, you looked at these masses of cookies and you scratched your head because you didn't see any chocolate whatsoever in these cookies. You would accuse me of false advertising. You'd have every right to be upset with me because I was promoting something and not delivering on what I was promoting. Listen, truth is important. We do not compromise on the truth of God's word. Love is equally as important. And we have a lot of catching up to do in the body of Christ in communicating the truth with love. It's not one or the other. It's both. And the world is looking at us now, especially we conservative evangelical Christians. They are looking at us and they are waiting for us to stand up and speak out about what we do stand for, not just hear from us when we have a word to speak out against or for what we are against. They wanna hear what do we stand for. And you know what we stand for? We stand for the forgiveness of anybody and everybody's sins, no matter how deep, dark, or dastardly those sins might be. The moment somebody accepts Jesus as their savior and their master, that's what we stand for. We have to be careful that we're not trying to get people to get their lives together before they come to know Jesus as their Savior. Was that the case with the Apostle Paul? Absolutely not. Go back and listen to the messages we've been covering on the the life of Saul before he became Paul. His life was anything but all together. We see that consistently in the Scriptures, That God is the one who does the work in each of our lives. Aren't you thankful that it is God who is faithful, that he who began a good work in you, the Lord Jesus Christ, he will be faithful to finish what he started in you. We're living in a day and an age in the United States of America where people need Conservative evangelical Christians, number one, we need to do a lot of repenting. I have people on social media, for example, I was saying that I don't always do it well, saying to me, this whole situation in Charlottesville, it was planned, it was staged, it was all an attempt to try to make conservative evangelicals look bad. You know, it might be, but you as a conservative evangelical can use social media with an equal a level playing field to help people understand that I'm a conservative evangelical, and I believe that what's happening in Charlottesville is shameful, so that when a guy like David Duke stands up and says things that are reprehensible and ungodly and unbiblical and blasphemous, trying to use the Bible in a twisted, perverted, satanic way, the world can see through you in your platform. It's called leadership. Everybody has a platform. You've got one. I don't care if it's five people or 5,000 people. You've got a platform. The world needs to see you stand up and speak out humbly and yet firmly that what's happening down there in the name of Christianity and in the name of Christ, nothing supreme about it at all. It's actually completely inferior and perverted, and the world needs to hear it from you. If you're still waiting for the media to start representing Jesus well, it's not going to happen. What's needed in the United States of America is a revolution of humble courage courtesy of you and me. Those who have the truth of God's word. Those of us who are not willing to compromise on what the Bible teaches. It's not our theology that is the problem. I think it's often, can I be really clear about this? It's often our methodology that is lacking. No problem with our theology, but our methodology See, what's happening here is that Peter, as he's getting further and further away from Jerusalem, he's associating with people who are less and less the original people of God, the chosen of God's people, the people of Israel. And as this journey continues, he gets further and further away from Jerusalem. He's now putting himself into fellowship, into situations with people that if you're in the first century following what was happening, and you were a Jew, and you had accepted Christ as your Savior, you would be watching the theology of reconciliation and redemption through the geographic journeys of the apostle and the apostles and where the gospel was spreading. The whole message that's being presented through the geographic journeys of the apostles is that Jesus is for everyone. He's for everyone, everywhere. And even the apostles need to be nudged and prompted. You're going to see when we get to chapter 10, I encourage you to read ahead. You're still going to learn more. Even if you do read ahead, the apostles are getting nudged. They're getting prompted. They're getting lovingly rebuked. Because they don't understand yet, even though they understand to a certain degree, they don't understand to the fullest possible degree, they need the Lord to continue to reveal himself to them, take them deeper so that they can soar higher and spread the aroma of Jesus to all of the world. So look what happens here in Acts chapter nine, verse 36. Now there was in Joppa, 36 miles from Jerusalem, a disciple named Tabitha, which means gazelle, which translated means Dorcas. That doesn't do us much good, right? The Aramaic into the the Greek, but it means gazelle. She was full of good works and acts of charity. So there's her reputation. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room, which is unusual because the Jewish practice would have been to bury her, but they might not have been, you know, they might have been Hellenists and not practicing Judaism as they would have been in Jerusalem. So they laid her in an upper room. Since Lida was near Joppa, it's about 11 miles away, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them, but Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed and turning to the body. He said, "'Tabitha, arise!' And she opened her eyes and when she saw Peter, she sat up and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then he presented her alive and it became known throughout all Joppa and many believed. This is the result of being an effective witness for Jesus. Many believed in the Lord and he stayed in Joppa for many days and with one Simon the Tanner. We'll touch base on Simon the Tanner in a moment, but in Mark chapter five, verses 40 through 43, This is like a deja vu experience only, it's not Jesus in person doing it, it's Jesus through Peter doing it. Look at this, in in Mark chapter five, verses 40 through 43. See what happened is that there was a child that was dead and Jesus said, she's not dead, but sleeping. They laughed at him, but he put them all outside, Jesus, took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, by the way, Peter, James, and John are with him says that in the verses before. Put them all outside, took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was, taking her by the hand. He said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age and they were immediately overcome with amazement. Now in that situation, Jesus charges them not to tell anyone because the timing and the circumstances of Jesus revealing himself to people was up to the timing and circumstance and the will of Jesus for the greater purpose of his mission. This is early on in Mark's gospel. But it should be something that we take note of here in Acts chapter nine when Peter is doing something remarkably similar to what we just read in Mark chapter five. Why is that? Because he's a disciple. Every student when he's fully trained will be just like his teacher. There was an intentionality in the life and the ministry of Jesus knowing that one day he was going to pass the baton on to somebody else. And so Jesus, during his three or so years of ministry, was intentionally replacing himself. And Peter now is out and about traveling all this distance away from Jerusalem, being the witness that God had called him to be, and now doing The same types of things that Jesus did when Peter and James and John and the disciples were with him. And so it's a great reminder for you and for me, who is it that you're building into? Because a disciple replicates. You have a life that is worthy of replicating if you're a follower of Jesus. You say, well, I have nothing to offer. Yes, you have something to offer. You can teach people from the mistakes you've made. Help them avoid those mistakes. You can encourage people. You can take your children and you can help them understand. Now, listen, when I was your age, I didn't understand, but I understand now, and I want you to understand. You can model with your lifestyle. Your life needs to be replicatable in regard to living for Jesus. And it's amazing to see the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in the life of Peter, who is now out and about doing the very same things that he saw Jesus do, being an incredibly effective witness. And you know what? People are believing. People are coming to know Jesus as their savior, the Jewish Messiah, the Gentile Messiah as we're going to see, the only Messiah, the only savior. So it's a good thing for you to understand oftentimes We focus our attention when it comes to replication and discipleship on other people that we can pour into. And it's important to do that. But if you're a parent or if you're a guardian, right underneath your nose, you have children that God has entrusted to you. And if you are a parent, you are always a parent. You will always be the mother or the father or the guardian of those children under your care. Disciple them. Shepherd them. Model a life that is an effective witness for Jesus so that they can follow you as you follow Christ. You never stop being a parent, at least positionally. But you need to be intentional when it comes to being a witness functionally. You need to deliberately function with intentionality in being a witness for Jesus. In the workplace, in your family, in your neighborhood, and even in the church. Because you know, I, I say this respectfully, but there are a lot of churches that can just get people together numerically. And the witness is not as effective as it could be, as it should be, as it would be, because there's not an intentionality. Who is it that you're building into to replace yourself? Would there be tremendous mourning and tremendous loss if you were tomorrow taken out of this world? What if you knew? that you had five more years left in your life, what would you do? You know we have business plans for our businesses. We rarely have family plans in the same way that we have business plans. I encourage you to have a family plan of where you want to be as a family five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years from now. You need to be intentional about discipling your children and you do need to be Intentional about discipling other people outside of your children. One of the things that we are often unintentionally guilty of, unintentionally, is that we're so busy out there trying to reach other people outside of our family, we can neglect our own family that's right underneath our noses. And I just want to say, with absolute clarity, you know, we have life groups, not just for adults, but we have them also for children, and we have them for students. We don't have adult ministry over here, Then we have student ministry over here. Now, we might call them that for the purpose of, you need to know, you don't want to be a a 60-year-old adult and show up where there are a bunch of 16, 17-year-olds where the hormones are going off the charts, and you're saying, I've been there and done that. (laughs) But you need to understand that we're doing the same thing in student ministry that we're doing in the adult ministry that we're doing in the children's ministry. We're trying to get people together to gather around Jesus to be seriously surrendered to Jesus so that we can build the only kingdom that's going to endure forever. It's so easy for us though to focus on things outside of our own family. One of the greatest things that needs to happen in the lives of believers around the nation is to rediscover and reprioritize the importance of the family as the first institution that God created. And if you're a parent or if you're a guardian, If you're a mother or you're a father or you're an uncle or you're somebody who has adopted children, your first responsibility above and beyond all else in your life, above and beyond your career, more important than your career, are you listening to what God is trying to say to us? More important than your career is the nurturing, the upbringing, the discipleship of the people in your family. You say, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do that. You know, that's one of the reasons why we have life groups. One of the reasons why we do it. If you're not yet part of a life group, this is not just, you know, a commercial advertisement for life groups, all right? Life groups are where we go from the, I don't know too many people because it's such a large gathering, to I want to get to know people. I want to get to know Jesus as I get to know these people in a group of eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 people Examining the scriptures together, being honest and real and transparent together, so that God, through your life with the lives of other people in very practical, very tangible ways, can spread the aroma of Jesus. See, church is not supposed to be just a large group gathering and a large group event. Church, when you see the scriptures, Even as we see right here in Acts chapter nine, church is the movement of God throughout all of the earth. That's what church is. Christianity is a movement before it is a religion. You understand that? We need to rediscover that. The the idea is that God is moving and faithful people need to move with him. And this means that you are going to associate, you must associate if you are going to be a witness for Jesus, if you are really filled with the Holy Spirit as Peter was, as the apostles were, as we're reading about, as the early church was, if you are really filled with the Holy Spirit, you cannot help but be a witness for Jesus. And you will associate with people you otherwise would not associate with. Look with me at verse 43 of Acts chapter 9. And he, Peter, stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon the Tanner. Luke is a master at helping us to get ready for what's on the horizon here. He did that with Saul when Stephen was murdered. And Saul was there, a young man named Saul was there approving of his murder. And what do we see in the next chapter? Saul's conversion. And what are we seeing here at the end of Acts chapter nine? Peter, who was a devout Jew, even though he was a fisherman, hanging out with a guy who would have been dealing with dead carcasses and skin. Ceremonially, unclean things. So something's happening in the life of Peter. Haven't you noticed that God is trying to transform you? God is trying to break you from all the stereotypes. God is trying to get you out of your comfort zone. He knows what you're used to in your life up to this point. Do not let that become an obstacle to who God wants you to become and what God wants you to do from this point forward. It is a significant thing that Luke mentions in passing. You say, that sounds like a contradiction. How can it be a significant thing if he's mentioning it in passing? Because when we get to chapter 10, you're going to see that this is setting the stage for us as readers about how now the gospel is getting ready to go. Jesus is getting ready to enter full-blown Gentile territory. (gasps) What does that mean? What's that going to look like? We're getting a glimpse of it because God is preparing Peter, who up to this point was preaching and teaching among the Hellenist Jews. That means the Greek-speaking Jewish believers and Greek-speaking Jewish community. And the Aramaic Jewish-speaking community, the non-Hellenists. Remember that dispute earlier in the book of Acts that there was a dispute between the Hellenists and the non-Hellenists, and they had to pick seven guys to wait on tables filled with the Spirit and filled with wisdom We're seeing again and again in the book of Acts the importance, the centrality of the filling with the Holy Spirit, the primary evidence of which is being a witness for Jesus. I don't care what anybody says about their idea of evidence for being filled with the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts makes it patently clear that the number one demonstration of whether or not somebody is filled with the Holy Spirit, walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, is that you care about those who are not yet recipients of the Holy Spirit because they haven't given their lives to Jesus. You care, and you are a witness for Jesus. And so it's significant that God is working in Peter's life. By now, he is hanging out with Simon the tanner, who would have been dealing with dead animals all the time. And Peter is a Jew. And you're going to learn about that. We're going to learn about that more. And what we are seeing up to this point in the book of Acts, again and again and again, you know, it's a good thing to shed a few pounds. It's a good thing if you're packing on too much around the midsection. But don't ever forget that God uses fat people. What? Oh, you're never going to forget this. Remember that when you go home and make some chocolate chunk cookies later on today too, right? It might be good to shed some weight, but don't ever forget that God uses faithful, available, teachable people, fat people. God uses faithful, available, teachable people. The more faithful you are, the more available you are, the more teachable you are before Almighty God, the more consistently you'll see him use you as a witness for Jesus. You might not believe me, but I'm going to prove it to you right now. Peter, faithful, available, teachable. Don't confuse fat with being Flawless, not the same thing. How do I know that? Peter, case in point. Don't confuse fat with being flawless. Look at the apostle Paul, who was Saul, breathing out murderous threats against the disciples. God knocks him on his backside, rescues him. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's Jesus whom you're persecuting. And Paul's transformation takes place. We have Peter, who's faithful, available, teachable, even though he had a past. We have Saul, faithful, available, teachable. We have Philip, faithful, available, and teachable. The guy who ends up going and preaching the gospel to the Samaritans, we have Stephen, faithful, available, and teachable. You need to be fat when it comes to your endeavor to be a witness for Jesus Christ. The timing and the circumstances of the return of Jesus are left up to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. As for you and your house and me and my house, our endeavor this side of eternity must be to become the most effective witness for Jesus possible. Are you a fat person? Are you really faithful, available, and teachable? When God wants to get you out of your comfort zone and cause you to do things you never did before, go into territory you never went before, are you ready to say, Lord, I'll go, I'll do, I'll become? Because if you're a disciple, you're being transformed by the powerful, mighty work of God. We see nothing but transformation in the life of Peter, nothing but transformation in the life of Saul, who became Paul, nothing but transformation in the life of Philip, nothing but transformation in the life of Stephen who while his murderers were throwing stones at him, he actually says, don't hold this sin against them, Lord. You don't do that in the power of the flesh. You can only do that if you're filled with the Holy Spirit. God always can and always does use fat people, people who are faithful, available, and teachable for his glory. You need to take it upon yourself, not somebody else. You need to take it upon yourself. I think we've got a pretty good church here. Don't you think so? You think we've got a pretty good church here? <laughs> By the grace of Almighty God, you need to take the next month of your life and you need to target those people at your workplace, those people in your neighborhood. You say, well, I, don't, I haven't had that great of a witness. Neither did Peter after he had denied Jesus three times. Peter didn't let that keep him from being used powerfully and effectively as a witness for Jesus. You might say, well, I don't really know my neighbors that well, make them some chocolate chunk cookies. (laughs) You'll be their favorite person. Make sure you put chocolate in those chocolate chip cookies, okay? Over the course of the next four weeks, write it down, write their name down, pray for them every day. Ask God to help you to reach out to them. And you know what, invite them to come to church with you. Don't take no for an answer. Did Jesus take no for an answer in Saul's life? Did Jesus take no for an answer? In Peter's life, you know, read the end of John's gospel when the apostles, including Peter, they're out fishing again. And Jesus had to say, hey, what's with the fishing? I called you to fish for men and you've gone back to what you used to do? Feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Peter had to be reinstated because he had the same problem that you and I have. We can take ourselves out of the equation of being used by God. We don't need the devil to come out of a closet somewhere and scream at us and say, ah, devil made me do it. Devil doesn't need to make you do anything. You can do it all by yourself, thank you. Stop disqualifying yourself. Become more and more the fattest possible person you can be. Faithful, available teachable for Jesus and you will see God use you. Think about the life group. So you might not invite somebody to the church successfully. You don't take no for an answer. You tell them, listen, I want you to come this Sunday, go over to their house, offer to pick them up, offer to meet them, go out for breakfast with them beforehand. Tell them we got it here. We're making it so easy for you to help people understand that we're living life outside the box. Don't take no for an answer. You say, I don't know how to do it. Neither did Peter the Holy Spirit will teach you to do things you don't know how to do right now. And you will become the witness you otherwise would not become. Think about these beautiful things we have called life groups. If you're not part of a life group yet, you need to be part of a life group because otherwise you're holding, I'm gonna say this because it's true, you're holding God at arm's length, you're holding other people at arm's length. Christianity is meant to be a community faith a faith of people rubbing shoulders with each other where the power of God is manifest in community, where people are seeing God move, hearing testimonies of God move, and being part of those testimonies. You know somebody, those of you who are involved in life groups, you know a neighbor, you know a coworker, you might even know a family member who is within your reach that you can reach out to deliberately and intentionally and invite them, I want you to come to my life group. You say, well, they're not a believer yet why are we putting our lamp under a bushel? Why is it that God birthed the church on the day of Pentecost right there in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount so that all the world could see his big, beautiful mess, and I say that respectfully, this big, beautiful mess of people from all parts of the known world coming to know Jesus as their Savior and their God? Because God is not ashamed of his son. He loves his son. He loves putting him on display. And you and I need to love to do that too. Put Jesus on display. Invite somebody into your world. Deliberately invite them to your life group. Take some time over the next four weeks and pray. Step out in boldness and say, listen. I want you to come to my life group. What's a life group? Beautiful. They're asking that kind of a question. That's exactly the kind of person you want. And in your life groups, under the direction of Pastor Joe, you're going to be hearing about the beautiful kinds of intentional things we are doing to create environments where people who are far from God get to encounter God by forgiving Sinners just like you, just like me, all of us rowing the same kind of boat in the same direction away from God apart from the intervention of God rescuing us and saving us. You have an opportunity to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to be a witness for Jesus. It's not as hard as you think it might be in the recesses of your mind. You don't take no for an answer. You lovingly reach out to people. You pray it up. You write their name down. You say, God, predispose, move in the heart of, fill in the blank, work mightily in their life so that when I reach out to them, they will say yes. And if they say they're not sure, help me with a smile on my face. You have every reason to smile. I want you to come to my life group. What are you so happy about? because I know something you don't know. that all of your sins can be forgiven and you can have peace with God in this life, an eternal life in the presence of God, in the life to come. Not because of something you've done, but because of everything that Jesus has done. It's time for us as God's people, it's time for you, time for me, to take much more seriously the idea of being a fat Christian, faithful, available, teachable, because those are the kinds of people that God uses consistently and mightily and powerfully. Remember, this gospel is going into all the world. Last time I checked, you and I are part of it. It started in Jerusalem, is now making its way into Gentile territory. The only thing that has changed is the number of years between then and now. God's methods, God's power, God's heart for the lost, and God's use of regular, ordinary people, just like you, just like me, fat people, has not changed.
0: You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. You can also invite Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking.